Spiraldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Hour number two of Arizona Sports Saturday here in the Auction Community Studios. Mitch and Steve back here with you. Josh warned me that we were going to have a massive throwback coming back here, and he wasn't kidding. Although I am ashamed to admit that I don't know what it is. I will say that much. You have never heard The Beautiful People by Marilyn Manson. I know. I'm sorry. I apologize, Josh. I know. Be be upset about it. Like I am about the Suns. Be upset about it, Josh. Ah! (laughs) (sighs) There's a lot of stuff that has to change with the Suns. And apparently, according to a report from TNT's Chris Haynes, he's also with uh, Bleacher Report, he reported yesterday and admittedly... This is very vague, but I don't disbelieve the report. Here's the exact verbiage from Chris Haynes when he tweeted this out yesterday. In what could be start of many changes for Phoenix Suns, the team dismissed a front office executive and two scouts today. League sources tell NBA on TNT and Bleacher Report. Huh. I'm really going to miss front office executive and two scouts, whoever they are. That's the thing is we don't know who they are, what level they're at. See... I to my point, I believe the report, but it's very vague. Sure. Very vague. Well, and listen, my first reaction to this is good. Good. You had an embarrassing loss, a failure of a postseason, and they're already making some changes. Yeah. Now, this firing of what? One a front office executive and two scouts does not mean that they're going to make major changes like getting rid of James Jones. I imagine he's not the front office executive that was dismissed. I think we would know that by now. I would think so, too. Uh, He's obviously not one of the two scouts. No offense to the scouts. uh, You know, it sucks that two people had to lose their job. Three people, I guess, in total. Um, But listen, these are minor tweaks that they're making. We expected changes. Matt Ishbia took over in the middle of the season. They were not going to make major changes at that point in the season, other than, you know, trading for Kevin Durant, which is a huge trade. I will admit, though, I saw one of the replies from, I don't remember who tweeted it, but one of the replies said, what do they need scouts for? It's not like they have a G League team or draft anybody. Or draft picks to use. Yeah. So I wonder if it's a cutback and then you're going to reallocate those dollars somewhere else. Although, I think, if I recall, Matt, Matt Ishby, I should say, has gone on record and has emphasized he wants the return of a G League team. Good. And I'm cool as, with that. As far as I know, the Suns are the last team without one because Portland, I think, is going to expand one in next season. I don't I see. A, I don't see a downside to having one. There shouldn't be a downside unless to they're a one. huge drag on your bottom line. If, unless you're losing tons of money, which I can't imagine that you would be. So let's think. Then about it's this. not. It's not a big deal. Let's think about this real quick. Why did they remove the G League team in the first place? I don't know. Part of it was, in my opinion, this is not fact. In my opinion, James Jones didn't want to spend time developing players. Remember Jalen Smith? Jalen Smith, yeah. The uh, twi- uh, stick? Sticks. Sticks? Yeah. Sticks. Drafted 10th overall. What's he up to now? Uh, he's in Indiana? Exactly. After two years. They didn't even pick up the trade option. The point being is that... Jay- that was the Tory Craig trade? Yes. Yeah. The, the second Tory Craig trade. The second the, one, yeah. The point being is that James Jones didn't want to have a developmental team or a team that focused on development, or at least it seems like. He didn't utilize his draft picks all that much. He would trade them for Dario Saric, Landry Shamit, right? Like, he didn't He didn't want to do any of that. He just wanted a team that was ready to go. But guess what? Now you might need a team that is nearing ready to go. 
and developing and getting ready for that next stage of their NBA career. You look at the teams that are still in the playoffs. They develop their roster a lot more than acquiring stars is obviously a huge part, right? Like the Sixers, they acquire James Harden. Uh, You know, you look at Miami, they acquired Jimmy Butler. Even a team that just uh, LeBron James was acquired by the Lakers. Anthony Davis was acquired by the Lakers. So that's a huge part of it. But also they develop players. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown for Boston. That's a team that's mostly their core is guys they developed. Marcus Smart falls into that too. The Other entire guys. Warriors roster is basically guys that they drafted and developed. For the most part. Even the guys that are you know questionable about how great they were at the end of the series. Jordan Poole is sure. a guy they developed. They acquired Andrew Wiggins. That's about it. Everybody I mean, else is homegrown. I'll even give some love to Austin Reeves with the Lakers. Like He's not going to be nails every single night, but that dude can play. He did play last night. So you got to find the right balance of developing players and acquiring players. The Suns, the same story, right? You acquired Kevin Durant. You acquired Chris Paul. But Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton are both homegrown. So there, there is a balance there that you're trying to find. You can't just do the whole thing mercenary style where you go and pay somebody to come do it for you you just can't do that all the time so to your point yeah they're gonna have to figure out some stuff in the front office it looks like they're already making changes that again i looked at this and i'm like good i mean even just let's make some changes just thinking about it the roster right now has if i'm not mistaken one homegrown player well i guess technically two because they got tj warren back but one homegrown player in devin booker booker and ayton and ayton two Maybe, Two of your top four. Maybe that was a tease for the offseason. Who knows? But yeah, to your point, Paul, trade. Durant, trade. Akogi, free agent signing. Landale, Biombo, Shamit, was a trade. Payne was a. Craig. Was basically a bust of a lottery Ross. pick and then just came out of nowhere. Yeah. This team is not a developed team. This is an acquired team. True. And maybe they have to approach it differently now. Who knows? It's true. It's true. I don't know what kind of free agents they're going to be able to target. I mean, we talked a lot about their cap situation. Uh, right now, you're pretty much capped with your top four, right? You've got Durant. You've got Booker. Those are the obvious ones. And you're going to build around those two, and that's the way that it should be. And that window gives you a couple of years with the two of them. That's about $83 million. Then you've got Chris Paul currently on the books for 30 mm-hmm. with a $15 million buyout. But let's assume he stays for 30 And then you've got Aiton for 30 ish 32. 32. I mean, that's pretty much your cap situation. So you're going to be, maybe they've got room for a mid-level exception guy here or there, and they've got a bunch of minimum guys. That's what you're looking at in the offseason. There's not a lot of other players that are still on the roster. Shamit's got a contract. I think he's like $10, 10. Million a year. So I realize, okay, so Durant and Booker make up 83. Another 32 for eight, and that puts you over 110. Another 30 for Paul, that's like 140. Shamit makes it 150, and then the combination of Payne and if they keep Wainwright, that's another seven and a half, closer to eight. You're already at like 155 million dollars. Yeah, and the payroll doesn't. You don't have that much room left on the payroll. Payroll is. Oh well, they're way over the max space, but your total cap is 207 million. You've got like 50 million left. That's it. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think you're going to be going after a bunch of minimum guys. I think which, you're going to be filling out your roster with minimum guys team. who want to play with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker for a chance at a, at a championship. And that doesn't improve the team. It, and if your goal is to improve this roster, going after minimum guys and convincing them to, hey, join the greatest players of this generation, that's not going to fix the team problem. It's the reality of it. 
Well, it's it started in my mind. It started when LeBron, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh teamed up in Miami. The first true big three. But what was the big difference there? Because they were all free agents. They were. So they the the Miami Heat planned accordingly. Wade came back, but he was a free agent. Wade right. came back, so he probably took a friendlier deal. Bosh was a sign in trade, so they were able to free up some extra salary that way. And then LeBron, who was the last one to sign, as far as I'm not mistaken, was able to make it work with the salary cap. Yeah. And at that time, too, they were all in like their mid to late 20s. It was almost too perfect of a scenario to have those two, those three. I'll give Bosch credit. But in order to build that roster further, the only way they could do it was bringing in a bunch of minimum guys because you're paying so much at the top of your roster. But they also drafted really well. Udonis Haslam turned out great. Mario Chalmers turned out great. Haslam was a role player. I wouldn't say he turned out great. That's not a star player. Key role player in 06, too. Yeah. I mean, this when was they were also well bloated on the this cap. This was a lot they traded later, away three though. players for Shaq. Haslam was he was starting only out of necessity on the LeBron teams at times, and I'm not even sure he was starting all the time. He really wasn't, if I remember right. But it, regardless, my point is simply: when you're paying so many guys at the top of your roster, the only way to fill it out is sometimes to go and get those minimum guys. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to find somebody of value. I thought that what they got out of Josh Okoge during the regular season was great. Right, an awesome, aggressive, defensive-minded player. But there was that also play the wing. Few expectations coming off of his prior Minnesota season. Totally get that. You're going to have to find that again. But you're going to have to find a couple of them, or you get really lucky and you do what Denver did. How many of these? You give, oh, your, you give your taxpayer mid-level exception to Bruce Brown, who is the sixth best option on the best team left in this in this tournament. Let me ask you this: Which of these guys on the Suns roster that are Potential free agents, would you want to bring back? Hit me. Uh, Darius Baisley. No. Tory Craig. Yes. Jock Landale. Says he wants to be with the Suns for the rest of his career. Not a great negotiating tactic. <laughs> yes. Bismack Biumbo. Yes. Damian Lee. Yes. Josh Akogi. Yes. Terrence Ross. No. T.J. Warren. No. All right, so you just cut Terrence Ross, T.J. Warren, and Darius Baisley. Everybody else is back. One of those I don't feel as bad about. Cameron Payne? Oh, he's under contract, I guess. Cameron Payne is one of the, the very few players that's he's under be a partially at, guaranteed He's going to be due at least a third of his um, contract, unless if he's waived. And if you pay out Chris Paul, if you pay him the $15 million to go away, Cam Payne is the only uh, point guard that you have on the roster. Essentially making him the starter if you were to pay out Chris Paul and not replace him immediately. It paints a pretty dark picture, we admit. and It's may- kind of a blank slate. And maybe a big part of that is because of what happened back in February. So now that we're here, do we regret the Kevin Durant trade by the Suns? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. I'm just going to throw it out there. Do we regret the Kevin Durant trade? Now, listen, I'm not telling you that's how I feel, but I would understand that some people do feel that way at this point. We were just talking with somebody in the newsroom this morning um, who said, man, the Suns, clearly they don't have any bench 
They gave up their whole bench. They gave up all their depth to go get Kevin Durant. And that is a fallacy. It's a surface lie, basically. Yeah, I'm not calling this person a liar. No, I, no, no, I, no, I no, like no. this person. But I just mean from the perspective of, it's oh, they gave up their whole bench. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a surface lie. Right. Because what happened during the Kevin Durant trade is you traded Mikel Bridges for Kevin Durant. They replace each other on each other's teams. Sure. Plus, you gave up Cam Johnson, who I considered a bench player. Probably at the time he was starting some games right around then, but mostly out of necessity. I mean, look, he was the starter. He was kind of. He was planning on being. The, it was planned for him to be the starter, not Jay Crowder. Okay, that's fair. Yes. And then you gave up Jay Crowder, who refused to play for the Suns this season. So didn't I don't play, even. And then I don't count him play, as bench depth. Barely even played for the Bucks. Right when it mattered most. You didn't really give up the bench depth for Durant. You didn't have it to begin with. The guys who were riding the pine at that time before the trade are the same guys who are in those roles today. Minus you added T.J. Warren in the trade. You added Terrence Ross uh, via uh, buyout. buyout. Thank you. Other than that, it's basically the same bench. They just didn't show up now. They weren't really showing up then. And I do think that Monty Williams deserves a little bit of blame here for not establishing the rotation and the roles more definitively leading into the playoffs. Hell, in the playoffs, they play eight games with Kevin Durant in the lineup, and who was the fourth or the fifth guy, I should say? Who was the fifth guy in the lineup when Kevin Durant and the rest of the Suns were fully healthy? Uh, Josh Okogie. And then who started game one against the Clippers? Game one against the Clippers? I'll give you a hint. It wasn't Josh Okogie. Damian Lee? I don't remember. It was Corey Craig. But the point being is that it wasn't Josh Okogie. Now fast forward to game one against Denver. You remember what the starting lineup was? No. Josh Okogie was back in it. Yeah. Like he couldn't even establish a rotation in the postseason, let alone leading up to the postseason. Well, and I guess part of the reason I don't bring up the postseason as much is because by the time I got there, there was no plan. So they had to change the plan. A couple of times. And I don't Several blame times. I don't blame Monty for trying to get something out of Jock Landale when it was clear that Aiton wasn't the guy in games, I don't know, name any game, in game three, in game two. So he goes to Jock Landale instead. I get that. You're trying to find the hot hand. I get it. But the fact of the matter is, and I realize they had such a small sample size to work with with Kevin Durant on the team because they traded for him at a time when you didn't have a lot of games left. And then he misses, what, three weeks? Yeah. After the trade? So, well, I mean, they even traded for him when he was hurt. Right. He Very small sample size. Him. I yeah. think they played, like, what, 12 games with him or something? Eight. Eight in the regular season. And, and then, then every game this postseason. Right. So it's not a large sample size to get it right. I totally get that. A lot of teams go through this, by the way. We talked earlier about that Miami Heat team when LeBron went. They didn't figure it out right away. They were not a great no, basketball team for the first but they had, four or five months. But they had a full season. Whereas if right. you were to take that, this is the front part of the season portion of the the trio in Miami. Now fast forward it to it's April. Figure it out. Right. Didn't have a lot so of time. I can, so I understand your point. But at the same time, you would have to think going all the way back to June. You would have to think it was in the back of their minds, in the front office, on the on the players. You have to think that they were considering the idea of what would this lineup look like if we had Kevin Durant? 
at the beginning of the season. Yeah. Instead of in the middle. Think about it. He had listed Durant. He had listed the Suns as one of his preferred destinations by the reports from day one when he requested that trade from the Nets, right? The whole offseason, it's when's Kevin Durant coming? When's Kevin Durant coming? When's Kevin Durant coming? And then the season starts and we're like, okay, maybe Kevin Durant's not coming. So now we just kind of have to figure it out, right? You go out and sign some cheap, not so exciting deals to players who don't necessarily move the needle, but they're going to help the team. I mean, heck, game one, Damian Lee won them that opener against the Mavericks. But Bernsey made this point yesterday that they kind of approached that offseason with the idea that they were going to have Kevin Durant. And as a result, they were less aggressive everywhere else that needed attention. Yes, I believe now, that to be true. Now you have Durant. You have Booker. You can utilize this roster and set up this offseason however you want because you now actually have Kevin Durant instead of you're anticipating getting Kevin Durant. Right. Does that make sense? Totally. Uh, you want to capitalize on the moment. I totally get that. The problem is because you have Durant and Booker on such extenuating contracts and you have Chris Paul on a $30 million deal and you have DeAndre Ayton on 32, you don't have a lot of room to work with. And we talked a lot about this earlier, so I'm not going to repeat myself. But basically, yes, you want to be aggressive in filling out the roster, but it's hard to do because they have very minimal options to do it with. They don't have picks. They don't have a lot of cap space. They're going to have to do it with a little bunch of minimum guys. Here's part of the other, uh, the other half of the equation with the trade for Durant, and if you want to talk about regretting it, is how Mikel Bridges has been unlocked in Brooklyn. Because since the trade, well, I'll put it to you this way. Before the trade, this season, with the Suns, Bridges was averaging 17 points a game and guarding the best player on every team every night, giving opportunities to Devin Booker. Mm-hmm. Since the trade... He's averaging 26 points per game, still playing that elite-level defense. His rebounding is essentially the same. His assists went down, but that's just because he's playing a different role, playing the primary scorer role. Yep. He was unlocked in a way in Brooklyn that I don't think he ever could have been in Phoenix because Devin Booker was the guy. So Mikel Bridges just couldn't be the can guy. Can you not have two guys? Uh, clearly. You have two guys right clearly now. Clearly you can, yes. <laughs> but he didn't have the reputation that Kevin Durant did. Kevin Durant came in the guy. He didn't have to become the second fiddle, so to speak. Sure, but it's not like he was already that. It's not like Mikael Bridges wasn't a top ten pick. He was a good pick. It wasn't like Mikael Bridges was a valuable player on his Villanova teams that won the championship the year he was drafted. But here's another aspect to this too that I, I think we can get into with Booker and Durant. The last two playoff series, I felt like the offense is basically hero ball. Oh, totally. It's either Durant or Booker. One of them is going to take the final shot. Do you look at the box scores in the Denver Nuggets series? Totally. How many players had double digits outside of Booker and Durant? Very few. Campaign, I think, in the last game had double digits. 31. And Shamit had a good game in Game 5, I guess that would have been. 4. Game 4, sorry. 19. But like outside of that, nobody's cracking double digits. It was either going to be Booker or Durant was going to take the shot, or they were going to get double teamed and find an open shooter. That was it. That's the offense. Yep. You could make the case that before Durant, without him on this team, their offense was better schematically. And they were running an offense because you couldn't just let Booker take every shot. So here's why I think people are arguing about depth and they immediately point to bench. I think they're correct about depth. They're not correct about bench. 
Because you know who's missing, who probably could have alleviated some of these shot-making opportunities and was probably a little more reliable in his prior role than whoever they had now down the stretch? Cam Johnson. Cam Johnson was drafted purely because of his shooting ability out of North Carolina, was he not? What was Cam Johnson yeah. remembered for, and what was his role here when he joined the Suns? He's a three-point shooter. Three-point shooter. Primarily off the bench, but then when he became the starter, he becomes that guy that when you run plays and you run pick and rolls and you force defenses to go into zone and a guy is left open in the corner, who's that guy? Cam Johnson. They didn't have that. I see what you're saying, but at the same time, I mean, like, I'm reading off some of the three-point percentages from guys who were on the Suns this season. Damian Lee shot 45%. From three point, and how many one of the best shooters in the league? How many minutes did he play in the postseason? Not a lot. Well, played twenty prob- per game during the regular season. There's problem number one. Campaign thirty seven percent. That ain't bad. Landry Shamit thirty eight percent. Not bad. Josh Okogie even thirty four percent. I guess that's a little bit rough, but and those are three more guys whose minutes were all over the place this postseason. I'm just so- listing you some of those shooter guys who kind of replaced him. I mean, Torrey Craig forty percent from three this season. That's great. He they played- did not struggle shooting the basketball after Cam Johnson was gone. He played zero minutes in Game Four. I'm just saying, like you're pointing out all these people that have the three point shooting ability. Doesn't matter. They didn't play. They may have it, but they didn't get the opportunity to show it. Playoffs is just a different animal. And for a lot of people's frustrations, I get why they immediately point to bench and depth. I agree with depth. I don't agree with bench. Right? They had the sufficient amount of players. They did not have the sufficient amount of play, however. And that's the root of the problem. So I guess here's the question going into next season. Can the Suns be... This good at this level again? We're going to look into our crystal ball next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Barrelvis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Half hour left here on this edition of Arizona Sports Saturday. Trying to figure out what is the next move for the Phoenix Suns as they are now firmly into the offseason. Mitch and Steve back here with you here in the Opportunity Community Studios. I think more importantly, and we haven't even mentioned this all that much yet, is the competition around the Suns next year. So three straight years, this team was the second seed, the first seed, and then the fourth seed in the West this year. Year to year, there's at least one team that falls out of that top eight. So the top eight this time around, you had Denver, you had Memphis, you had Sacramento, you had Phoenix, you had the Clippers, you had the King or the Warriors, excuse me, you had the Lakers, and then who was the eight? Timberwolves. Again? The Timberwolves. One of those teams is going to fall out of this eight, if I had to bet. Yeah, and you look below that, the Pelicans are at nine. Look at how much we talked during the regular season about how we think the Pelicans are an up-and-coming team. That series in the first round last year was pretty difficult for the Suns. Sorry, was right. that two years ago? No, it was last year. Uh, no, that was last year. Right before the Dallas um, series. Yeah, great series against the Pelicans. That's an up-and-coming team. Ten seed, the Thunder. I like SGA the Thunder. is one of the best players in the league. Got MVP votes. They're going to have lottery picks and and, speaking of lottery picks... A full first season from Chet Holmgren. 
And as well, the 11th seed, the Dallas Mavericks, the team that eliminated the Suns last season. They have Luka, so you can never count them out. And of course. maybe they figure stuff out with Kyrie Irving and they improve as well. Those are three teams that want to jump into that top eight you're talking about. I, I mean, you talk about the Kings. They're much, much, much improved this past season. They could take further steps. Mm-hmm. The Grizzlies look like they're ready to arrive at some point if John Morant can keep his head on straight. Uh, the Nuggets are the most complete team in the league, and that's part of the reason why it's easier for me to stomach this year's loss in the playoffs for the Suns than last year. Last well, year, this, you lost to an inferior team. team. This was a better team this year, yes. Exactly. This year, you lost to the team that was consistently the best throughout the entire course of the season. I can live with that. You lost to a player who is the two-time MVP and had an argument to be the MVP this year for the third year in a row. Mm-hmm. I can live with that. I can live with it. I can't live with getting blown out at home again. No, it's not acceptable. I I can just live with the scenario. Okay, yeah, that's my point. It's like I can. I'm fine with them losing. I'm not going to be fine with them being down thirty at half at home. No, I don't care who you're playing. Right? Like it was such a shock last year because it was Dallas, and we're like, what the hell happened with this team? This year, it's the Denver Nuggets were a better team. The Phoenix Suns are flawed. They were down two of their regular starters. Blah blah blah. The list goes on. We have all the answers, as you may have heard in the Bickley and Murata promo from Bickley. We have all the answers for why they collapsed this year. We don't have a single answer as to why they collapsed last year. So understanding what their situation is now can better help us understand what could the top eight look like next year in the West. And I have a feeling, this feels kind of like a cop-out, but I have a feeling Minnesota's not going to be back in the top eight. I don't think so. They have a generational talent in Anthony Edwards, but they have a massive mistake in Rudy Gobert. And they're probably going to do a bit of a roster overhaul this offseason. Again. <laughs> yeah. Pelicans, I don't know. At one point, they were the third best team. And then Zion got hurt, and they completely fell off a cliff. A lot of it rides on Zion, whether or not he plays. Thunder didn't get going until late. But you have to imagine that that latter half of the season is kind of what we should expect next year. Yeah. And I'll emphasize again, they're getting a number two overall pick back from injury. And they have two more lottery picks to come. It's this like year. Remember when Blake Griffin missed his rookie season, and then, and then comes in the next year, and he's Clippers. awesome. Yeah, he's awesome. It's the same thing. You're going to see that kind of significant jump. Sure. I mean, we haven't talked about the Clippers because we know the Clippers. I mean, they were the five seed. The Clippers are one of the best teams in the league when they have all of their players healthy. They just never do. But they have a really good rotation, and they have a really damn good head coach. If they decide to stick it out with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and Russell Westbrook plays at the level that he did in the playoffs... If they re-sign him. If he's back, if all things are are back in place, that's a super dangerous team. I'm not giving up on the Warriors, certainly. Not until they show me that they're giving up. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I the joked Lakers about, are a whole nother team since the trade deadline. I joked about it last night with the Warriors. Where I said, now I can confidently say they are not going to be contenders in the West this year. Yeah, because whole season only long, once they it? were it like, eliminated. Oh, their road their road record is awful, but they was st- they've stayed really really good at home, and they have proven themselves time and time again in the postseason. And they have Steph Curry. It's like the hell am I supposed to think about this team? They were eleven and thirty on the road. God, man! But they were thirty three and eight at home, unbeatable at home. Couldn't. Hit water if they fell out of a boat That's on the road. Crazy, it's ridiculous. And they ended the year eight and two in their last ten, so that's pretty significant. I uh, listen, man. To your point, 
the West is getting better all around the Suns. And the Suns have this this short window, right? Because Kevin Durant is what, 35? He's 34. 34? But see your point about the window. When they made the trade, or before they made the trade, I should say, there was an idea that maybe there's two windows. You have the window that you have with Chris Paul, which feels like it's shutting, right? There's like a little gap, and maybe they could sneak through it, but it feels like it's shutting. But you have this really enticing second window that is the beyond Chris Paul, where it's Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, and Cam Johnson kind of leading the charge. And eight and two, assuming that, you know, maybe some fallout doesn't happen in there. But you have a really nice-looking secondary window where you have all these guys that are around the same age, similar contracts, and all serve different skill sets, right? You have that. You trade for Durant, shut that second window, yeah, and board it up, try nails on the walls. Try and pry open the first window as much as you can, but <laughs> yeah. it's stuck. You need to get some WD-40. You doubled down on the first window. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. But the window is a lot smaller, and it's a lot tougher to get through now. And you have to think in the back of your mind, if they have a lackluster offseason again, I don't care if they have Durant. I don't care if they have Booker. I have a hard time believing that this team is going to finish top six at minimum. I'm sure they'll at least be a playing team, if not slightly better. But I have a hard time buying top six if they don't do much this offseason. Here's the other thing about the NBA in particular versus other sports. In the NBA, superstars move around all the time. Yes. Whether they're under a contract or not. I mean, look at the Durant situation. He had like three or four years left on his deal, and he still gets moved all the time. James Harden switches teams every other year. Russell Westbrook's been around the league. Chris Paul's been around the league. Star players move all the time. Yep. So tell me, who are the star players that move this offseason? And I'll tell you what whether teams are trajecting up or down. I mean, that's essentially what it comes down to. We talked about the Clippers. If they've given up on Kawhi because he's just never available and doesn't seem to want to play basketball— Kawhi Leonard's on the move. Okay, so the, I'm going to put the Clippers down, and I'm going to put whatever team gets Kawhi up a little bit. I think there's a wild card, but I don't think wild enough to crack top six. Maybe just to tease the play-in. Houston just got a new head coach in Ime Udoka. It seems like that's the kind of move you take if you're ready to be serious about contending again. Dude, they were 22 and 60. I understand. But you also have a head coach that in his one year took his team all the way to the NBA Finals. With a good roster, though. Okay. Now, how do you make a roster better? To your point, star players move around all the time. You know who's a free agent this offseason and could entertain a return to Houston? Who's that? James Harden. Would he? Would he go back? It is a massive would he, won't he. But I have a hard time believing that this front office is making this kind of a coaching move if they weren't serious about competing next year, right? You're not just going to bring in Ime Udoka to have, like, a project, basically. He's already had too much of a taste of success, you know, and some other things. But he has the willingness and the competitive edge that you want in a head coach if you're trying to be serious, right? Think about the Suns when they hired Monty Williams. Did that feel like a serious head coaching hire in comparison to all the other ones? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they went to the bubble, and they went 8-0. And and no offense just... to the other hirings, but, like, I mean, Jay Triano I thought was a fine coach, but that's not a big deal. Earl Watson? Earl Watson was not—he was a first-time head coach. Harry Porter? No. Lance Blanks? No, that was a GM. Never mind. Apologies. I don't even remember Even Hornacek? Yeah, I don't even remember not the other really. coaches past Gentry. Right? 
So my point being is that if you're going to make that kind of a move, I imagine something else comes in tandem with it. And James Harden's going to be a free agent, and Houston's got plenty of money. Why would why would Harden want to leave Philly? Because he knows that they can pay him and make him the guy once again. Just as he's proven to be in games but without Joel Embiid this year. Does he want to be the guy? I mean, listen, I understand that narrative for a lot of superstars works, but James Harden's been trying to team up with people his whole career. Since he left OKC, and he had a heck of teammates in OKC. No, I, he left, He's been trying to team up with guys ever since. Look at respectful. what they did in Brooklyn. He left OKC for the money. Totally. And, and he, to be a star he player. he left his teammates. Totally. Yes. He wanted to be the star. Totally. And then, But then he came to a revelation that I can't do this by myself in Houston. Did he come to that revelation or did Houston? Somebody did. Daryl Morey did. <laughs> and look who's running <laughs> the teams that he's been playing for. I know. I mean, he goes to Brooklyn to to team up with Katie and uh, that wouldn't have been Irving, would it? Yeah, it's just a fun thought. They process. They all play together. Yeah, it's just a fun thought process. Uh, yeah, no, I I get it, dude. And like that's how, wh- this plays into the Suns conversation because the Suns know who they are as a currently constructed. Unless they trade Chris Paul, trade DeAndre Ayton, we know that's like their core four is still Paul Booker, Durant, Ayton. And that's also like seventy five percent of their cap. There's a lot of question marks there, but. That's essentially what they are right this second. But some of these other superstars moving around the league is going to determine where the Suns fall in the hierarchy of the Western Conference. In some of the games this postseason and postseasons past, he was a supernova. In others, he's a black hole. What do we feel about Devin Booker's playoff legacy? We'll try to figure that out next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. 34. 34. Want to take a guess what that is? Uh, point total of uh, something. That is Devin Booker's points per game in the playoffs this season. Nice. It was a phenomenal postseason for Devin Booker. We talked a lot about how Kevin Durant just opens a ton of doors for Booker. It, it His gravity is what Devin Booker calls it. The gravity of KD takes weight off of Devin so that he can shine. He took off in this postseason. It was phenomenal to watch. But what is the legacy, the postseason legacy of Devin Booker? Now listen, talking about legacy for a 26-year-old player in any sport is seems kind of futile because... There's so much left to be un- that that's unwritten so far. Mm-hmm. His career is far from over, but this is one of the best postseasons we've ever seen from a scoring standpoint. Devin Booker is already seventh all time in playoff scoring, like per game. Right. Kevin Durant is fourth, by the way, and they're both at the peak of their powers, and that's scary to any team that faces the Suns of going course. forward. But. What is what is the legacy? They've made the playoffs the last three years, and I think you could argue two of them are disappointments. So in his career, I went to look at the stats. There's only been three seasons where he's played in the postseason. But in the postseason, he's averaging 10 of 20, so he's averaging about 50% from the floor, about 2 of 6 from 3, 90% from the line, and he's averaging about 28 points per game. That's pretty good, right? That's overall. That's all three postseasons. All three postseasons combined. The finals run... The loss to the Mavs last year and then the loss to the Nuggets this year. Correct. 
If you look at some of his top games, I organize them by box plus minus, so they are likely skewed to wins versus losses, of course. But just his top five. Game five against Dallas last year, he was a plus 25. They won that game by 30. Game six against the Clippers in the Western Conference Finals, they won that game by 27. He was a plus 23. Game five against the Lakers in the Western Conference uh, first round, they won by 30, and he was a plus 22. Like, a lot of those are really good wins. And included in that is games against Denver, albeit in the 2021 postseason run. His best game of this 2023 postseason by box plus minus was game two against the Clippers at home. He was a plus 15, and he scored 38 points. Pretty damn good. Here's the problem, though. His bad games also seem to come at the worst possible time. And there's a, there's a slight skewage because the most recent two worst games are like 30-point blowouts. But here are some of his worst box plus minus games. Game 7 against Dallas, where they lost by 33, and he was a minus 41. He also only shot 3 of 14 in that game. Game 6 against Denver. Minus 27, he shot 4 of 13 in a 25-point loss. Game 5 against Denver, a minus 19, he was 8 of 19. So better, but he was starting to hit that decline. Game 6 against Dallas, they lost by 27, and he was a minus 19 again. And then there's another one I want to point out, and it's ahead of some of these other ones, but it's important to where I'm trying to lead this conversation. Game six against Milwaukee. They lost by seven. He was a minus 15. He was eight of 22 from the floor. Devin Booker has been horrid in closeout games when their back is against the wall. Elimination games. That's the problem. That's the problem. That last game of the Bucks finals run, he had 19 points. That's not unbelievable. The last game against Dallas, game seven last year, he had 11 points. That's not good. Nope. Closeout game, back against the wall. Game six against the Nuggets. Not good. 12 points. But, like, he was very good in game five against Dallas. He was very, very good in games three and four against Denver. He was even get really good in game five against the Bucks. They lost that game, and part of it was a crucial turnover he had. It would have been easier to stomach if Devin had a phenomenal game and the team still lost. Yeah, 100%. Because we could have looked at each other and said, you know what, the Nuggets are just a better constructed team. They develop their players better. They've got a two-time MVP who easily could have won a third this season. Uh, they were just the better team all season long. I can deal with that. But the fact that Devin came out and was absolutely flat, couldn't knock down shots. Kevin Durant, by the way, doesn't deserve to be off scot-free either. No. He was not good in that game. He was, I don't think we saw the best version of Kevin Durant in a Suns uniform other than those couple of games against weaker opponents and in the regular season. To your point, weaker opponents. Like, who did they play? Who was the best Chicago? team that they played down the stretch? It was probably Dallas. Oh, yeah, yeah, towards the end of the season. I was talking when they first acquired him, even. Remember there was those first three games he played before he got injured, re-injured. Uh, I think it was Chicago, maybe it was Charlotte, Charlotte, Chicago, and Dallas all on the road. They come home to play with KC, and he twists his ankle. You're right. Dallas was in that mix. Because I remember talking about it. You and I talked about that. Like, this is the first real test. And, like, none of the other teams were that much better. They got Denver twice, and Denver was without their starters in both of those games. Right. They had Minnesota. They had earned that. Right. They had Minnesota. And then they sat them the final game of the year. Like, there wasn't a lot happening. With what what like what were we supposed to gauge from those games? Nothing is really the answer. 
because they were inferior competition, and then this was the playoffs, and they they lost game one against the Clippers. So, Remember, we came in after that Sunday, and we're like, what the hell was that? Right. Unexpected. Yeah. Here's the next question, because we just had somebody ask us this in the in the commercial break, and I think a lot of people are wondering. Yesterday was exit interviews for the Suns. Mm-hmm. Season's over. Last time you hear from players. Who's the one player we did not hear from yesterday? Well, in exit interviews? Yeah. Devin Booker. He was, I mean, he was there. He was in the building, supposedly. He, according to our own Kellen Olsen, he was there. But he, did not speak. He was kind of hanging around. And then Chris Paul started speaking after Monty Williams spoke, and then he left. I know how I feel about that, but I'm going to ask you. Is there anything to draw? Any conclusion that we can draw from that? Conclusion? No. I was making the Michael Scott gif face when I found out that he didn't speak for the second consecutive day. But at the same time, the way that I posed it to a colleague of ours in the newsroom, we're going to forget about this in like three days. Yeah. And we're going to move on and we're going to be focused on other things. And I, I have to imagine that Devin Booker is the least of our concerns. You know? Devin Booker, when it comes to the Phoenix Suns, other than the fact that we're pointing out how terrible he is in these closeout games, Devin Booker is the least of my concerns when it comes to the Phoenix Suns right now. I don't read into anything from that that he didn't speak to the media yesterday. I, I I don't get anything from that personally. I'm hoping he's taking it hard because he should. Yeah. And I'm hoping he's in a gym somewhere working his butt off to try to win a championship. Not to leave Booker as the only person to blame, but Monty Williams hasn't been great in elimination games either. It's true. Lost his last five by an average of 18 points. It's going to be a wild offseason. We're I can't be, wait. Let's gonna, get to it. We're going to be here to talk about it all. For my co-host Mitch Vereldis and Steve Zinsmeister, you've been listening to Arizona Sports Saturday.